Hey everyone, so before we get started here, we're going to do a message from our sponsor, Chirp, C-H-I-I-R-P. What they do is they provide automation to your company. So they do ringless voicemail, text, and email. If you go to a customer's home and you do a really good job of executing the customer performance, but six months later they forget your name because you didn't leave a card behind, maybe they threw the card out, well, Chirp makes it impossible for any customer in your database to forget about you. You send them reminders, hey, you know, we need to do a tune-up. Hey, you're due for your oil change. Hey, uh... We just want to let you know that we're thinking about you and we care that you're a customer of ours and thank you for using our business. Chirp is the best way to reach out to your customer base and they are a sponsor of this podcast. So go ahead and check them out. C-H-I-I-R-P. Welcome to the Ryan and Nate's Business Podcast. Come listen to these two blue-collar business guys. Nate, your go-to automotive repairer, and Ryan, your local heating and air contractor, talk about business, how to help you, and hear stories from our local unsung heroes. Community matters to them, and so does a healthy business. Here's Ryan and Nate. Now, I'm really excited for today's guest. Who's introducing him, me or you, Nate? It's, it's all you, man. You know him okay. better than Joe. Great. Uh, so we're introducing today is the HR guy. He is Ian, and uh, I want to say things, but he doesn't allow me to say them. He keeps me in check. He is the HR department for every single construction, contractor, home service, service business in general. He is your go-to guy. I called him last week because I had a weird situation with an employee, and Ian said, you can do this, you can't do that. He is that HR professional that, you know, I hate HR. I don't hate you, Ian, but I don't like the ins and outs. But you keep me from getting sued, so that's why I love you. And I guess that's why I love HR. Um, It's a love-hate relationship, but Ian's really an awesome guy. He is the HR guy. Ian, thank you for coming. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Ryan, are you saying we have to be really good on this recording? we got to watch what we say? Before the podcast, he said, Ryan, you're not allowed to say that on the podcast. And I said, oh, okay, my bad. I'm just trying to bait you into saying what it is that he told you not to say. Yeah. So don't, it might don't, have had to do with sizing. I don't, you know. Um, so, Ian, before we get... Toe in that line, toe in that line, Ryan. Yeah. Before, <laughs> before we get more in trouble, tell us your story. Why, how did you get into HR? Well, uh, I came to HR in a very weird way. I actually start my first job was in the Navy at 17, went in advanced electronics. I ended up working on the three biggest AC units on my uh, ship. And because only four people were allowed to have access to my workspace. So I got to do everything else in that space. Um, uh, Everything from plumbing to electrical to HVAC, and then, of course, computers and even the old school programs on magnetic tape drives. Um, Once I got out of the Navy, I worked customer service at Gateway Country Computers, aging myself a little bit here, and uh, did more computer repair, relocated, worked at Best Buy, Geek Squad, So I did retail, the dreaded Black Friday and all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Multiple years, picked up a couple business degrees, ended up working in a service center at Geek Squad, worked on appliances and car audio and you name it, I fixed it. 
And then I got fired for being an opinionated employee. I got tired of, we were paid straight hourly. I let my opinion be known about a senior tech, so-called, that I had to fix all his problems and he was being paid more than me. So I let my frustration be known. And apparently I scared a CSR. Next day I was fired. Okay. Oh, there you go. So when that happened, I was looking for a new job and opportunity opened up saying, Hey, I've got this new program. I'm trying to get it off the ground. And you and your wife have the ideal skills and degrees for it. You want to try it. All it takes is you got to move to California. So 10 years working for that company. And then before we split off on our own again, because opinionated employee and could no longer do things under that umbrella. So the HR guy was born and now it's three and a half years later, been working exclusively with the trades and residential service providers Um, have a couple one-off clients, but we do safety consulting, HR consulting, brand new services to be your HR department uh, with in partnership with bamboo HR and you know, just things keep on rolling and you know, the government's not slowing down. So I'm not slowing down. I mean, that's the 30,000 foot view of how I came to this crazy position. How many employees wow. do you have? How, how big is your office? Uh, there's currently four of us working in this home-based office, but we're awesome. looking to expand and double or triple over the next year. So and um, what is the craziest HR story you, you're allowed to tell us? <laughs> well, un- unfortunately, a lot of the most dramatic HR stories, I actually already dealt with two today that rank up there. You know, one, an employer, you know, just sent me a video or a audio recording of somebody going off, one of his employees going off on the phone and I don't give an F and I don't give an F and I couldn't hear all of it because she was switching between English and Spanish. And Mm. and I'm like, well, that's not a good environment. (laughs) And he ended up letting her go, Um, you know, and helped guide through exactly what it was for and how to phrase it. And he wanted to offer some sort of severance. I said, no, Um, and just ran through that one's more on the drama side. The other situation that I'm currently navigating, unfortunately, an employee blew through a red light and crashed into somebody. And we're waiting for police reports and, you know, what actually happened. And, you know, first offense, great guy and just zoned out and just blew it in very bad way in a company vehicle at the end of a shift. Oh, well. So, I mean, it it runs the range from just non-professional environment and behaviors to serious accidents that cross that line between safety and HR, which is why I do both. Hmm. So do you have, does your typical phone call or contact with you with one of your clients? Is it, is it just that like, are you like the first call when something crazy like that happens? I'm I'm within the first couple of calls, depending on the exact situation. But my employee just did this ridiculous thing. How do I respond? 
how do I get rid of this person and not get sued because of this, this, and this outside circumstance, uh, tons of variability, tons of different directions that can go. And, you know, I, I love playing the game stump the HR guy. <laughs> okay. Occasionally I do have to do some research, but I can normally give some usable advice right out of the gate and get, remove the emotional bias and allow the employer to step back and get a little peace of mind, no matter what is going on. And, and is it usually letting someone go? That, that's the, the route that you're, well, it's always one of the options, but it does take, what is your feeling now? Most of the time when it gets to me with a, this employee is driving me nuts and blah, blah, blah. It's normally because they kept that person too long, but if it's early and it, th- something here is just not working right or something's just you know messing with my head, okay, let's explore it. Have you asked questions? Have you found out the reality of the situation, not just your emotional reaction to it? And sometimes when they take a step back, they realize they're speaking a different language. So I help get that communication going by getting them to step back, remove the emotional bias, and move forward with intention. Yeah. I mean, we probably, we all find this in, in our lives, just not, not even just work, but just in any relationship, right? It's like, it's usually whatever, whatever's going on today is, is usually not the whole story. It's usually Mm -hmm. something that's built up over a long period of time. And maybe today, sometimes the thing that, that happened today isn't even the biggest thing. It may even seem kind of small. Um, but it's, but it's at that point where the, you know, at some point the, the manager or the owner, I'm, I'm guessing says, okay, this is enough. I got to call the HR guy. Absolutely. And to your point, it's also really big. Just look at social media, look at how people respond in the army of keyboard warriors out there and everything else. You know, it's a plague on society, but it keeps us all connected and you can use it properly, um, sharing information. But you have to take steps to make sure you're speaking the same language, that you're not saying one thing and they're hearing it as another. So if I understand what you're saying correctly, you're saying like an employee or you as the HR guy can monitor to take a look at what someone's social media presence is to help figure out how to communicate with them. Is that what you're? Absolutely. Okay. And you should, I mean, you should absolutely do some Facebook stalking during the recruitment and hiring process. You know, if their, if their profile is protected, great. You don't hold it against them because it's their profile. Uh, But if they're out there and what they're out there as doesn't represent your brand, that'll be a hard pass. What what about that, that situation, that sticky situation when they're already your employee and then you happen to see that they're posting things that don't represent your brand well. How do you approach that? <laughs> so you need to have conversations with your team saying, you know, I noticed this. It's not strictly against policy unless they're bad mouthing the company and that sort of thing. But how do you think this persona that you're putting out there, how does that help represent our brand? What if potential customers see that and you're associated with us? Is that going to help or does it hurt? You know, you, you do it from a communication standpoint, not a judgment standpoint. Ask questions is the number one recommendation across anything. 
because you always sound smarter when you're the one asking the questions. Yeah, the term, the phrase get curious comes to mind. Like getting curious about people is really, really useful when you're managing people. Absolutely. You know, you want them to be open with you. You want them to trust you. Uh, you need them to trust you because you need to trust them. So it's not just managers and it's definitely not managers versus employees. Everybody has a role to play on the team. And that's how management and employers can try to direct the company culture. So give me this scenario. Um, employee quits on Friday or gets fired on Friday, but he sold two jobs that day. <clears throat> and on Monday, he's like, oh, I sold two jobs on Monday. I want commission for him on my last check. How do you handle that? So anything that's pending, if the if the invoices were or the proposals were sold and signed on Friday before they got fired, then you do owe commissions in the time that you would normally pay them out if they were still employed. So if that job actually goes through, if he would not have, if that employee would not have had to uh, do any additional work to earn that commission, you still owe it. You just pay it out as a 1099 amount down when it would normally be owed. Do you, like you don't, you don't void commission just because they're no longer working for you. If they did their part, you still owe them the money. And this would be one of those HR points that mm -hmm. nobody likes hearing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm bringing it up. Um, yep. What about the job has to be installed for you to receive commission? So there's a difference between when the work is being done or when the job is sold and when the commission is earned. So salesperson goes out there, does the work, their work to sell the job. Then whatever happens in between that point and the job getting installed and paid for triggering that final earning, you owe the commission still when it's earned. If that person's no longer an employee, then you pay it out as a 1099, but they did their job. And if you're going to deduct anything from that, you need to have it well documented. So if the job had to be resold, split the commission. If there was follow-up or handholding with the customer or just there's other tasks that the salesperson's expected to do, all of that can be laid out. And there's also other tricks that can come to play depending on what you want to, you know, how you want to roll through it and how much you just want to get this person out of your thought and out of your head. Yeah, typically, um, you know, when someone gets fired and my experiences has always been, Oh, you know, we don't have to pay in this commission. You know, like my management team is saying this, <clears throat> we don't have to pay in the commission. It says in the thing, whatever, whatever. And, um, you know, there are loopholes around everything. And, and you and I have talked about those loopholes. And I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of like this very specific scenario because I'm be appropriate on the podcast. But there are <laughs> there are very specific things we can go and, and go through and do. And we've always kept it very legal. But like the most recent one, um, this guy 
damaged the customer's unit and he caused harm because he dam- he, he cracked the heat exchanger on purpose. It's very clear. You can see a hole drilled with this uh, screw gun. And then on the other side, he beat it with a, um, a screwdriver because um, the, the hole he made was too obvious. And, um, <clears throat> you know, everyone was really upset about that. And we're like, oh, we, we don't, you know, don't pay him the commission, yada, yada. And I was like, it's better off for, you know, and I talked to you about it. I was like, it's better off. We just pay him whatever he thinks he's owed. And then just leave it from there, pay him the money and never see him again. Then create a whole big stink, have him come back to us, yada, yada. And it'd be a big deal. And by, by showing prudence on that and just getting him out of your hair, you know, stopping a danger to the company, to the brand, especially to the customers. If he decides to try to cause a stink after acting that way, he pops his head up. You whack it like whack-a-mole. Just yeah. you throw the book at them. You you know file charges. You know work with the customer to file personal charges. All all the rest. Um, that's the benefit of holding some cards instead mm-hmm. of just turning it into a big thing up front. Because all that's going to do is encourage additional conflict. That he's got nothing but time on his hands. Is it worth your time to continue fighting that fight for no? Mm verifiable game yeah it's all balancing act do you ever have owners go against your suggestion absolutely yeah can you tell us <laughs> no. a time where you're like oh, man please don't please don't shoot him and he shot him <laughs> so there's there's a number of circumstances no i can't go into any real specifics but because honestly it doesn't happen a whole lot but if I'm what I'm suggesting and what I tell my clients regularly is communicate, you have to ask the questions, but if they're too fired up over any situation and they just don't feel, they don't feel comfortable asking the questions because they can't, they can't step far enough back. They'll continue down a path. It's like, I just, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Then this is how we proceed instead. Mm. You know, is so this you're able too, to provide options if the owner gets too hot? Absolutely. Or if they just fundamentally disagree, I'm not going to reward them by paying them the commission. Okay. Then document something along these lines and it's not bulletproof, but it's only going to come up. You know, it's everything I do is about minimizing the risk. Yeah. No matter what policies we have in place, no matter what documents are there, at the end of the day, you can't control what any individual is going to do, whether yeah. that's me talking to my client as a business owner or the owner talking to an employee who's going off the rails for yeah. any reason. When, when you you said document and you said conversations, like it just it popped off in my head. The, the question is like, as an owner, when do you need to start and how do you document well? And, and like at what point, what triggers like, oh, I need to get like someone to sign something or this needs to be an email versus a verbal conversation. What are the kind of things that trigger that? So anytime that you're taking corrective action with an employee, it should be documented. Pretty much anything counts as a coaching session or a verbal warning. 
in those types of cases, you're really just taking notes on the conversation so you can refer back to them if you're still having problems with that individual. Or if you're coming to, okay, we need to scale down for the season, so uh, who am I going to let go? Who's got the record? Who have I had to talk to the most um, and give this correction? But verbal warnings can go until, you know what, we we can't deal with this anymore. Then you elevate it to a write-up. And that's the, you're still noting exactly what occurred. And that's what you present to the employee saying, this is what's expected of you. This is what's going to happen if you don't follow through on it. Sign here. If they don't want to sign, that's basically, okay, your options are you can accept this corrective action or there's the door. Yeah, the last uh, the last time I, uh, well, I was firing the guy and we wrote up a paper, um, you and I did, and it was like, oh, I forgot to ask Ian, how do I, do I say, here, you have to sign this? He doesn't have to sign anything because um, the press conversations, I know that. Um, but I just handed him the pen. I was like, yeah, I need you to sign this. And um, this, you know, do you want me to go? And this is probably, this may be wrong. You might <laughs> scold me. But I just said, would you like to go over this pa- Here, sign this. And I handed him the pen and he signed it. And I said, would you like to go over the paper word for word or just the general overview? And he said, general overview is fine. And I, one paragraph, I general overview. The other one, I read word for word. Um, and he signed it and we're done. So with, with that termination notice, uh, I always recommend giving a reason it's either at will for failure to meet performance standards or not, you know, not following company policy in general, nothing real specific at will means that you're not going to dispute unemployment for cause is you did this. And those are the ones that normally get refused to sign by the employee. And that's fine. They refuse to sign. No sweat. You just give them your a copy for them signed by you. And then just note on your copy, employee refused to sign. But it's a, it's a conversation. Hey, we're letting you go for this reason. Sign here. Yeah. You know, signing and then reviewing kind of defeats the overall principle of it, but it's not necessarily wrong. Yeah. And with the policies and everything, do you do anything to help write policies for the company on your service? Oh, absolutely. We do full custom employee handbooks based on state industry uh, personal desires. You know, how do you want to handle certain things that are, well, we'll call them problematic in across society in the business world? Marijuana. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it ultimately comes down to how do you want to run your business? And then our job is to make sure that you're implementing those policies as compliantly as possible. And if you want to do something really off the rails, we're going to tell you this is off the rails. You're going to drive your culture through the floor and you're just inviting a fight, which is the last thing any employer should want. Yeah. Um, our HR, uh, we, we had an HR book made by someone else and it was about 10 pages long. 
I believe your book was at least 75 pages long. It's not that long. That's the safety manual, which we just revised and it's now down. Now it's down to like 50 something. If yeah, you have all the policies. I'd have to check. I mean, it's, it's definitely over 50. I know that. Um, but we also had a lot of things we wanted to add in yours. Um, True. Because in the early years of Beltway, I had uh, three employees that, man, if they could bend or break every single rule they did, and uh, they were the three most problematic and sometimes still can be problematic, even though they don't work for me anymore. Um, and And that right there is a perfect example of keeping people too long. If yeah. you're if you're titling your policies or if somebody can go through and see, OK, this is a Joe policy. They're, they're still talking about Joe. He's gone, mm-hmm. but he stayed on for two years pushing buttons and doing this and driving the owners crazy. How does that benefit the brand? How does that reflect yeah. on the brand from a leadership standpoint? And did one person cause the other two to go bad and because they thought they were allowed to? Yeah, that's exactly to a point, exactly what happened um, to AT. Yeah, so you're you're saying that um, as leaders, we end up being reactionary, and then that makes it into our policies, and it's just like, it, it's, it's it ties, McDonald's cup that says, be careful, it's hot. Because, and, and it's like, no one thought to put that on there until someone got sued for it. It's like, oh, there's a story behind this policy. <laughs> yep. And, and some people take, some owners take pride in their crazy individual one-off policies. But what they don't realize is that every policy that is too narrowly focused ties your hands, even down to disciplinary. You know, HR, there's always HR debates about uh, progressive discipline. You know, we're going to go through a coaching. We're going to go through a verbal. We're going to go through a written, final written. Then you're gone. Doesn't matter what it is or point systems. It ties your hands and you can't take context. You can't actually have that conversation with employees if you're just following the, the very core fundamentals of the book. You know, somebody calling out regularly because they're getting trashed every weekend and they can't function on Monday morning is different than somebody whose you know, wife is sick and he has to get the kids to school before coming in. You take you should, as an employer, have that freedom to allow for personal circumstance. And that's how your team's going to know that you value them and how they're going to value the brand that you're all representing. It sounds it sounds like there's just as much work that goes into what needs to be in the manual as as there is to what shouldn't be in the manual to tie your hands. It, it's an art form. I mean, it really is. And that's why you don't want to just go to Google for an employee handbook or those yahoos over at ADP or, you know, any, anything else like that, or even borrowing from another company because where did theirs come from? You know, and even if it's one of ours, how long ago was it? Are their policies in line with yours? Do you want your policies to be in line? And especially if it originally came from out of state, you might as well just scrap the entire idea. Better not to have an employee handbook, the one that's based on a different state. Um, with, I was going to say, 
Dang. I, I have a thought. I, I do this all the time. I have a thought and then I, can, I open my mouth and I'm like, it's going to come to me. And then it doesn't come to me. And then we sit here for three minutes. Like, you know, what the I heck? Got one. I got go one. ahead. Go ahead. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm imagining this is just my, my guess. And you tell me what you think um, is the people come to you. Does this average business owner come to you after like some massive fire in their company has happened? It, it, it started that way. Yeah. It started that way as I was building my reputation and building, uh, just giving information, you know, I'm all over the place on Facebook as HR guy. I originally, I originally started off saying, you know, with my regular name and then anytime I responded to a question or a situation online, I was saying HR guy equals, and then whatever my official response was. And after about a year and change, some people were kind of starting to copy it or even mock it a little bit. So I decided to up my game, change my name to HR guy. But when it comes to how people are coming to me, a lot of it is word of mouth now. Somebody gets wind of a developing situation or they're asking their peers for advice of, hey, is this right? Is this? And they, I've got enough people now that are thinking about it going, yeah, this could turn into a bigger problem. Just call Ian. I, <laughs> that, that's what it comes down to, but I still get a lot of the longtime listener, first time caller. Um, I want to hear about your services, but I have this thing quick and I give free samples. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not stingy with the advice because if somebody is on the ledge, the last thing I want to do is push a sale because as a consumer myself, I hate it when that happens. So I don't play that game. My, my goal is to help. My goal is to help business owners get ahead of the emergency curve, switch from reactionary mode to proactive. And that's why I have different levels of service, depending on your specific needs, what you want. Um, if you want that emergency hotline level, we'll deal with your foundational documents, get everything set up. And then you call us whenever something's on your mind, you get a weird email, your employee does something crazy, whatever it is. Uh, or we can step it up and, you know, provide monthly management level coaching and training sessions along with strategy meetings to go over conceptual and philosophical parts of running the business and driving company culture. So, and I work hand in hand with a lot of different uh, business consultants and, you know, self-proclaimed gurus for all the beating that they're taking on Facebook these days. But, you know, as long as people are trying to help, there's room for everybody. And it also helps that I'm the only HR guy out there. <laughs> yeah. How, how big, how big should a company be before like, you think they start to need HR assistance? Like uh, when they're thinking of hiring their first person. Okay, good. <laughs> we have a lot of people that we're connected to that they're, you know, one guy in a truck doing work, they, they own their own job and they're getting something off the ground. And then, yep. and yeah, the, a lot of things change when you hire that first employee, whether it's and another truck or if it's someone in the office to take care of the phone. Absolutely. And I deal with owner operators looking to hire their first people up through several hundred employees. And I 
I serve a different role for each one of them based on what they've built in and how we integrate our services together. Um, but the key thing with the smaller operation, you may not need sustained retainer services. You may not need to have me permanently on call. But what you do want to do is get the foundation of your operation set. You need that handbook. You need the safety program. You need a training rhythm. And you need to know how to hold people accountable. Those are the four corners of your foundation that you have to have in place before you start hiring. Otherwise, you're retrofitting your company policies, retrofitting that foundation. And who knows what it's going to cause with your existing employees that have gotten away with murder up till that point. Or operating in that gray zone where nothing was really defined. Yeah, and I think, you know, when our goal as business owners is to work on the business and not in the business. Mm-hmm. And I think having a super solid handbook and we, you know, you, you and I have gone over, take this out, put this in, take this out, put this in, yada, yada, yada. But it, I mean, it's, it's a thick packet that talks about, you know, the do's and don'ts. So it really helps you work on the business instead of in it because, Hey, day one, these are the ground rules. You show up here, you leave here. You get paid this time, you you know, you leave at this time. If you take a lunch, it's at this time. You know, if you show up late, this is what happens. If you get three of these, you get X'd out. If you get four of these, you get X'd out. You know, it, there's so, you get $75 for boots. You get, you have to buy your own pants. We provide the shirts. Like all the nuances of things you have to think through. It can take you months or it can take you one hour with the HR guy. And then, boom, day one, everyone's ready, set to go. Now, good. If you have. Yeah, I was going to say, and the employee handbook is not just a set in stone and it's done, it's a living document. So, as your policies evolve, as your relationship with employees evolve, as you grow, uh, the expectations may change. You know, if you have a bunch of, you know, specific Joe policies, <laughs> Joe trouble policies, and, you know, this guy Joe sounds really bad. <laughs> he, he's a, he's a Royal pain. Um, but sorry to anybody named Joe out there listening to this, but you start evolving and you start loosening up because you got rid of Joe. Why is he still living rent free in your head? Let's let's dial it back and start, you know, okay, how is this specific policy already laid into other existing policies? How can we manage it and keep the communication between management and employees going rather than black and white, throw the book at you and going to hit you over the head with the employee handbook if you screw this up type thing. Do you ever have employees call you? Uh, Not if I can help it. (laughs) actually our newest service uh our executive level retainer with bamboo hr uh is actually there to provide that outlet as well so providing that first level hr support uh if an employee doesn't feel comfortable going to a manager they can submit a question a complaint anything like that and it'll run through our consulting team And then we involve management as needed or just address the employee's concern directly. 
Yeah, when I was an employee for a company, it was the first company, official company that I got started with. If you went to their school, you were not allowed to work within 50 miles and do residential HVAC of any of their locations. And they had locations from an hour north to an hour south, an hour west, and an hour east. So completely unenforceable. Okay. <laughs> non non competes for technicians, not even a thing. You can't stop somebody from earning a living. Uh, you can hold people financially responsible to a degree for you know tuition costs and things like that if they don't work off the loan um, mm-hmm. over a certain period of time, but it has to be reasonable. And what about services? Was an employer allowed to say like, hey, if you go to another company, you're not allowed to use the service? No. Like <laughs> this, this service is, pro- 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 yeah, okay. If it's proprietary information mm-hmm. and they can't take copies of your marketing material and duplicate it if they put out their own sign because um, now if you're dealing with managers, and people that are involved in the decision-making of the company and developing of products and services and strategies and things like that inside knowledge, that is more enforceable for uh, non-competes and such. But line-level employees, you you cannot stop them from going to your competitor. And, but if they steal your client list and you can show that, uh, you can take legal action you know, if they abuse the ability to not be held under a non-compete, you can't, you can nail them to the wall. Yeah. When I started my company, um, I, I, this is a core case that's already done and over with, but they, um, I left the company I was working for and I hired one of their guys to be my first employee. And he was 100% had a resume ready was like, I'm going somewhere else. I'm totally not staying here. And then he said, I'll, I'll give you a try for a couple months. If it works out, I'll stay. And, but then because he was past employee there, you know, I got lawyer papers sent to my door and man, was that nerve wracking, but I just had to, we, we settled outside of court, uh, gave him a chunk of change. I just had to prove that I wasn't stealing their customers which I wasn't. I had no interest in doing anything like that. Um, yeah, they, you know, basically had to pay a lot of money for that employee, basically. Yep. Non solicits is a little bit rougher. You know, that yeah. whole, okay, you're an employee, you left, you started your own company, now you're suddenly recruiting out of there. But I, I have tips and tricks getting around those as well. Because if you left a bad situation and you're trying to create a positive environment, you're going to attract the best and brightest from around, including yeah. from that company. But how you do it matters. Okay. Yeah. And that's so going to be are, a case by case. Uh, these are the wonderful conversations we get to have. Um, <laughs> you, said, you said your services help once you start thinking about hiring that first person. So especially if that first person happens to be where you came from, that kind of advice would be pretty important. Uh, just a little bit. Yeah save you from having to pay five times as much for a, for an employee. 
or hopefully avoid having that employee go off and start their own company competing against you. Yeah. Um, I've had that. I had that happen to me recently too. Guy was like, um, I'm, he called Friday <laughs> night. Hey, I'm dropping the van off Monday. I'm starting my own company. I was like, okay, buddy. Um, good luck. I, I don't really I, care that much because I think company is not the, is not the most glorious <laughs> thing people think it is. That's why Nate and I go around trying to help other people, but it's, it's at the end of the day, not glorious. Well, especially in the trades, it, it's a very common cycle where technician gets disenchanted with their employer because I'm out here making all this money for the boss man to have a Lambo or whatever else, you know, is flashy. And, mm-hmm. you know, I make him a dollar, I get five cents. I can do it better. He doesn't know what he's doing. I'm going to go out on my own. So an yeah. employee goes out on their own. They hang a sign. They slap a label sticker on the, on the side of their truck and they're doing good. You know, almost no overhead, no, no business knowledge really needed. You're slinging boxes or whatever the service is. And yeah. then they screw up and they hire that first employee and start dealing with other people's problems. And then sooner or later, they're going to see, oh, wait, now I'm the man and this person just quit and is now my new competitor, just like I did it to him. Maybe I wasn't so fair. That's if they get past their ego and actually acknowledge that fact. Right. But. <laughs> so, you know, I had one wrong. more question for you. I was just curious um, how your business has changed since COVID. Uh, well, I hope it, it, it's been more successful. It really helped COVID actually helped my business as a business entity. It's horrifying what everybody had to go through during that time, uh, dealing with essential service classifications and time off and scared employees and not knowing who to trust or listen to from any sector. It doesn't matter what your opinion on COVID was. It's a matter of it was a reality and still is a reality that all of us have to deal with in one fashion or another. But my willingness to help provide that core information as it was coming out and providing analysis just really, it really helped that trust factor and, you know, dealing with, every possible scenario. Um, it just highlighted exactly what I do and how I do it, no matter what the regulations are, no matter what the situation is. So, so the phone calls from employer from employers, were they different? Like, did they have different questions? Did they have different concerns than before? Um, well, I mean, it's all about, it, it really did drive a focus into communicate with the employees you have services that you have to provide to the public because everybody's locked at home. Your team are still people that have their own fears and things like that, that you have to account for. Communicate, ask questions, figure out new ways. What would make them comfortable? Make them part of the solution, not just you dictating, I, we need to get these services done, but treating them as the internal customers that they are. Um, a lot of a lot of phone calls, you know, especially once it really got going and there was just no end in sight. Uh, a lot of phone calls was venting, you know, 
employers calling me up just super frustrated about this ongoing problem and employees calling out or disappearing or all the regulations and masks and what am I supposed to do and conflicting information, medical and science and, you know, Fauci and everything else. Uh, it was, you know, it, I was a sounding board for so many businesses across the country. So that's, you know, sometimes that's what you need in HR is just a safe place to vent because <laughs> it's better to vent to me than at one of your employees or at a customer. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big proponent that like difficulties and trials make us stronger. And it occurs to me that through COVID from the HR perspective, well, there's some, there's some, some companies didn't respond well, but especially the ones that leaned into it. I, I, I have a belief, my, my small window into the world of the companies that I see that have done it well, it actually made them stronger because that communication piece had to increase. Um, they, you know, in some cases, the companies got leaner and meaner, um, focused, you know, refocused their, their efforts um, and got less sloppy. And as far as you know, the culture goes, like there was an opportunity to actually let all of your employees know how much you actually care about them through through COVID. And so I think the good companies got a lot better. Um, at least that's my what I've seen. I, I would fully agree with that. Um, and those that did lean into it and actually took care of their their employees uh, are kind of being rewarded right now as well. All across the country, companies are getting this ERC tax credit that, you know, is up to $26,000 per employee that you kept over that uh, 2020 and 2021, you know, year. It's like five quarters of uh, value, just depending on what's up with your taxes and stuff. Um, I don't touch that stuff, but I have a friend that's an industry specialist, just like I am for HR. Uh, that he's been helping out companies all over the place get buku bucks back. So uh, anybody who hasn't done that yet should can also let me know, and we can get we can get you in touch. And how do we get in touch with you, Ian? <laughs> so best ways to get in touch with me, you can visit my website at thebigpictureconsulting.com. Uh, you can email us at support at the big picture consulting.com or just give me a call 612-474-9797 and just ask for the hr guy and we can uh start start that conversation or you can look me up on facebook as the hr guy sweet thanks thanks ian appreciate you being on the show with us today hey thank you guys 